Today's episode is brought to you by Dugal. A legendary photo lab is now at your fingertips. ShopDugal.com is the expanded online storefront of Dugal Visual Solutions, a leader and innovator in printing for over 50 years. At ShopDugal.com, you now have instant access to world-class printing solutions for pigment prints to acrylic prints to canvas prints to metal prints to everything you might need. It's all there. And even better, you don't have to use one of those awful rose applications in order to submit your orders. You can do it right over the web browser. They also ship ground for free. I want you to give Dugal your best work and so that they can give you theirs. Find out more at shopdugal.com slash master. That's S-H-O-P-D-U-G-G-A-L dot com slash master. And use promo code master at checkout to get 25% off your first order. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. As I've said many times on the show, in the exit if you stick around to hear the last part of this shows uh i don't feel if i don't ever feel like i can cover a topic sufficiently i asked an expert to come on the show with me and i have brought one on today to talk about computers to run lightroom here in mid 2018 and that expert is matthew bach from puget systems Did i say your last name there right matthew yeah that's correct yep it's bach bach okay how are you doing I'm doing great. Great. Excellent. So uh, I'm really like, super excited because I have had, I would guess, hundreds of requests for this episode. Um, I did a, a little write-up in 2015 out on improvedphotography.com that kind of went through kind of if I was building a system, what I would choose and why. And lots of people mm-hmm. find that article and they were asking for updates to it. And so here we are. We're going to go do this. Before we really dive into this episode, I have to take care of a little photo taco business. If you have been listening to the show for the past few months, you know that I've been running a contest for those who subscribe to the show and sent me a screenshot showing that they were subscribed. I wish there was a better way to prove subscription, kind of get a list of recent subscribers. That would really help. And I have to do that because it really helps the show to grow. It really makes it so possible for me to continue doing the show. If I can see that it's growing, um, if it's not going to grow and not going to get out there, I might have to reprioritize things in my life. But so far, it's showing good momentum, good growth. And uh, I thank you all so much for listening and doing that. There were hundreds of entries, and I am excited to announce that uh, Fraser Bordelow. I'm sorry. I hope... I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think it's Fraser... Bordelow has won. So Fraser, I've reached reached out already, sent you an email. I've uh, tried to connect with him on Skype too. He's won that 30 minute Skype session where I'm going to go through his photos, Fraser's photos, and I'm going to show him how I would post process them and explain every single thing that I'm doing and why I'm doing it and let him ask questions. We may not get through even two or three photos, but he has 30 minutes of time to be able to go nuts in post processing with me and geek out all about it. So thank you so much everyone who entered and keep listening because I plan to do similar contests like this in the future. Before we get too far into the show though, I do need to uh, tell the listeners this one's going to be long. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the I get teased all the time about in the time it takes to eat a taco and that I must be a very slow eater. And that's going to be probably more true than almost ever today. I expect this one's going to go pretty long and it's going to be very detailed and technical, but I, I want you to listeners, if, if this isn't your thing, if you're not really super technical on computer pieces and components that we're going to be talking through, 
I encourage you to try to stick through it because we will offer advice along the way on things that are going to help for Mac users or pre-built PCs like from HP or Dell and so on, which I get questions on all the time. So I hope you'll stick with it and, and listen, even if there's stuff we're talking about that you don't have any interest in or don't understand what we're saying, stick through it and I'm sure you'll get we'll get to some stuff that is going to matter. Okay, so now that we've taken care of those things, Matt, let's dive into the reason we're here. Mm. I want you to provide kind of like a two-minute intro for yourself and the company you work for. Yeah, okay, two minutes, go. Um, so <laughs> Future Systems, uh, we've been around for quite a while, actually. I think uh, 2000 is when we first became an actual business. And uh, we do custom workstations for primarily content creation. So photography, video editing, that kind of stuff. Um, and the thing that really sets us apart is kind of our priorities, what we really value as a company. So um, a lot of those are, um, it's like, quiet operation, reliability, uh, but also in our customer service. And that's not just like support. I mean, support's a huge thing too, but it's also like on the sales side. Um, something that's a little bit unique to us is that we don't try to push people into something that is not actually the right thing for them. Because um, I think a lot of times there's a lot of these computer companies out there, especially smaller ones, that they just... They find out what your budget is and they just shoehorn you into something that fits within that budget uh, versus for us, it's a lot more about the right thing rather than the mo- most expensive thing. Yeah, um, what a great service too. That's It's a very yeah. different approach from like the big boxes in particular. It is. Yeah. And, and kind of my role here at Puget for quite a while now is I'm in what we call our labs department. Um, so I actually test like Lightroom, Photoshop, uh, Premiere Pro, all those different applications uh, and do a whole bunch of hardware benchmarking to find out like what things actually are important in that software because so much out there like hardware reviews are about gaming or about right, general right. compute stuff. Right. And a lot of that does not apply to Lightroom. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's why you're a perfect resource to bring on because of that. I, I read your blog constantly. So I, I follow uh, what you're saying and compare it to my own experience. You you guys building systems all the time, you have a lot more exposure to various hardware and, and yeah. components than I will ever have because there's no way I'm going to be going through all those things all the time. Um, yeah. Which is why I wanted to bring you on. Make sure that, that we provided uh, some information from someone who's got a lot more experience with this than I have. But I do have a lot of technical experience on my individual, you know, situation and, uh, and, and have a lot of observations about how things have been working or not working stuff. I've, I have tried and made investments and thought, Oh, well that was useless. Lightroom didn't even use that. That's terrible. Things like that <laughs> along the way. So anyway, we're, we're going to go through that. Uh, we're going to geek out for the next hour or so on custom building a windows PC. Going to go over things. One component of the time is a pl- is the plan. We're going to go one piece by piece. We're going to explain kind of, what what it's, uh, what kind of the options are. Um, we're going to have Matt give his suggestion on what he would choose for the components and maybe recommend the very best thing for running Lightroom. Not really with cost being the key factor, but just what is the best choice to really get the most out of Lightroom and have it run the best. And then I'm going to provide a little different perspective. I'm going to provide recommendations on what would go, what I would go with building one as a hobbyist myself. So this is not hiring Puget to build one. This would be, I'm going to go order the parts from Amazon. Amazon or B&H or wherever you, you might find parts, Newegg. There's all kinds of websites where you can order parts. And I'm going to build it myself and I want to have kind of budget be a focus, but not be the only thing. I'm, the, my recommendations are not going to be the most inexpensive option to like barely get Lightroom running. Um, that's what big box <laughs> machines are for. <laughs> but I'm going to instead choose 
I'm going to find places where I can choose to save a few dollars, uh, in some cases, a few hundred dollars, um, but still have it be something where it's going to perform really well and, and going to last for a while. So we're going to talk about all of those. I will also be making part of my selection is going to be uh, overclocking is something that I want to do. And if you don't know what that is, you don't want to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not for everyone. It can bring instability to your system, but it is a way that I can like bring the very most out of the equipment that I buy. And I've had good success with it over the years. So um, that's going to be built into what I'm going to recommend today. Matt's not going to build that in, right, Matt? No, no, no. Yeah, we, <laughs> we used to offer overclocking. And what we've found over the years is that if you're not the kind of person who builds your own computer, you're not going to have the knowledge or honestly the will to handle any issues that come up because of overclocking. So it's, it's really overclocking is the thing for people like you who want to build their own and do all that kind of stuff. Not not for buying a, a machine from a company like us. Right, right. Okay, so also don't feel like you have to write everything down as we go along because I'm going to have detailed show notes like I always do for all of our episodes. Plus, I'm going to add some things, some a new area to the phototacopodcast.com website where I'm going to have phototaco Lightroom builds. So I'm going to list my choices for an overclock system and my choices for a uh, non-overclock system, something that's more basic. Um, and then, of course, there, you can go over to pugetsystems.com and, and order something over there. Um, there is a big advantage in doing that. Uh, the biggest thing, uh, we just talked about stability and overclocking can kind of reduce the stability. But over at Puget, you guys do, and I think this is another really big difference between a lot of other makers of computers, is like the the burn-in, the, uh, the stability testing kind of stuff that you guys do oh, yeah. over at Puget. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, every single system that goes through our door goes through a, a whole big old burn-in and benchmarking process. It goes through a dedicated QC where we do thermal imaging and, and things like that. Um, and actually, just now, we're working on a project of running um, actual applications like Photoshop and Lightroom on every single machine that goes through our door. So if you tell us your machine is going to be using for Lightroom, our goal is actually we want to benchmark it in Lightroom before it leaves our warehouse. Um, and that's a project we're working on right now. Creative Cloud doesn't make that very easy, but, uh, <laughs> but we're working on that. So pretty soon, yeah, every single machine is going to actually be benchmarked with Lightroom, uh, which I, as far as I know, no one else does that. That's awesome. Yeah, so there, there's a service that you won't get if you build it yourself. That's something mm -hmm. you're going to have to go to Puget for, which is time-consuming. That sounds like a big, yeah. a big effort to go through. That's not anything I'm going to be able to do either. It would be more like the way, only way I can make that happen is I have a system today. I would buy new components, but I'd have to make a choice on them. All the stuff that we're going to talk about. And then I'd have to go like, just you know, manually do a comparison. Like, is it better? Is it not? And I couldn't change pieces and see what made a difference and what doesn't. It's a huge advantage that Puget has and, and right. a, a real service that they offer. So very cool. All right. So one other thing before we get to our first component, and I, I hesitate to bring it up because it just tends to really get me in trouble with listeners, but I have to briefly touch on the Mac versus BC battle. It's like constantly raging. We talk about it all the time and I, I have to make, I'm not a hater of the Mac. I really like Mac OS. It's, it's a great operating system. I love using it. I have a 2015 MacBook pro I use it for all my mobile computing needs. And I'm a devoted user of iPhone, maybe for some security reasons that has to do with like my IT experience and my day job than more than anything else. But um, I, and I really wish the Mac could work for me. I wish that I could live in the integrated ecosystem because it's really nice. It's a really great ecosystem. 
but I choose to build a custom Windows PC for the majority of my post-processing because I know how, and it truly saves me a lot of money that way. (laughs) Uh, It's not the case for everyone. In fact, I would guess the majority of listeners, that is not where you are. So, and if you choose a Mac, that's great. I don't, I'm not disparaging the Macs at all as we go through all of this. Um, The components do tend to be more dated with Macs, but they're great machines and they're going to work really well. Uh, They're going to have a higher cost than what I can do for me specifically and personally. And as we talk through the components and we go through things here, we're not saying that that Mac is is immediately inferior or anything like that. Um, In fact, I'm hoping it'll inform you as you're going to build by a Mac. You have these choices of, do I want to upgrade the memory? Do I want to upgrade the CPU? We're going to talk through all the pieces and we're going to give you some advice. So there it is out of the way. (laughs) I hope that makes sense to the listeners. And I hope that even if you are a Mac user and you want to stay on the Mac platform, that you're going to stick with us as we talk through these things so that you can get that advice. All right. Let's go with our first one, Matt. It's the chipset and CPU. You kind of have to decide them together. They go hand in hand, even though they're kind of two different things. And it contributes to a decision on a, a component next. We'll talk about with the motherboard. Um, I decided to have the order of components here based on how the really cool tool out there, it's called PCPartsPicker.com, has them listed. So it's not listed in priority order of like what's most important for uh, for Lightroom, for running Lightroom. It's the order that kind of makes more sense as you're building a system. You have to make some foundational decisions so that you can make other decisions. They kind of build on each other and they have to have compatibility. So that's why we're going chipset and CPU first. So Matt, why don't you tell us uh, current options in here in June 2018 as we record this episode, what are the options and what are you going to pick? Yeah, sure. So man, there are so many options right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, Intel still has awesome stuff. AMD has done some really nice things recently. I don't think they've quite caught up with Intel yet. Right. Uh, but actually, I do want to talk real quick about uh, Lightroom Classic CC uh, first before we sure. really okay. get into this. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you've discussed this on your podcast before, but man, they made a whole bunch of changes with Lightroom Classic. And if there's anyone out there who hasn't moved over to it on their desktop side, man, definitely do it. Um, because they made a lot of optimizations that made a huge difference for desktops. And it's actually changed the kind of CPUs we recommend. Um, so that's just... Uh, so like th- these recommendations are, are kind of uh, relying on the fact that you're using Lightroom Classic. Uh, because... Uh, so most, most people, though, uh, like an 8-core uh, i7, so that is the 8700K, I would say, is like the go-to... CPU for Lightroom. Um, the difference is going to be if you do like really, really large image sets, like hundreds or thousands of images at a time, and you're exporting all of those and generating previews. Uh, the thing that's different with Lightroom Classic is that it can now use more CPU cores effectively. Um, so if you do that kind of stuff, you can go up to a 10 core uh, i7 or the uh, the core i9, was it the 7940X 14 core, I would say is the best CPU for doing that kind of stuff. It's not as good for like a lot of the day-to-day operations in Lightroom, but man, if, if you have to wait hours for exports to finish, uh, that's an awesome CPU. So that, that's on the X299 platform. Uh, but yeah, I think most people, uh, Core i7 8700K with uh, Z370 is going to be, you know, kind of the the go-to option for that. 
Okay, good. So yeah, multiple cores, they, they did do it. Mm-hmm. I, I did talk about that a little bit in one of the episodes um, about how they've, they've dramatically improved. And I, my sense is, uh, especially like the, as I've read in the Adobe forums, my sense of it is that was kind of the tip of the iceberg <laughs> on what they have planned yeah. to do with Lightroom. And, and that was like the low-hanging fruit. There was easy ways to make it so that the export and import process could be sped up by, by better utilizing multiple cores. And so that was the simple thing. And they Bam! They they got that in place, and it made a big difference. We we you guys have done some good testing there, and you've been able to show that it made a massive difference in in how well the export speeds are going, and th- that's going to continue. They're they're not done. They're and they're partnering with Intel, and that's part of why. I'm not going to recommend AMD CPUs. I I am cheering for AMD. I I really want AMD to bring a a really compelling competitor to the marketplace to really push Intel and keep prices lower. It's going to be better for all of us if there are two really good choices. The problem is Adobe's working with Intel. They're going to be really specific to Intel. They're not working with AMD on these things, at least as far as I can tell from the forums. Maybe with the Threadripper stuff, the new platform that AMD's developing, Adobe will get with them and see what they can do. But I, my sense is they really they know they have a massive performance perception problem. There are ways to make Lightroom go fast. And I've done a lot of podcast episodes about that. But there's a really massive perception problem there that they've got to battle and they're going to lose customers over it. So uh, my perception is they are going after they're going to partner with Intel and they're going to they're going to tie to that wagon and they're going to ride it and they're going to do everything they can to optimize it so that it runs really well under the Intel chipset. Um, okay, so but chipset wise, which specific chipset then are you going to recommend, Matt? Uh, definitely Z370. Um, I mean, cause there's like, there's Z370, H370, B370 and all those other ones. Uh, but honestly we stick with Z370, not even because of the features that it has with it. Like it allows overclocking, but I mean, we don't really do overclocking. <laughs> right. Um, but what we found is oftentimes that is where the motherboard manufacturers are putting their highest quality components. Um, anyway, so like the H370 chipset is perfectly fine for most people, and like it might have all the ports you need, but the Z370 board is still going to be much higher quality. And when that's like your foundation ties everything together board, that's the way we go. Um, sure. Okay, yeah. so, and they came down to the two for me as well that you've talked about, the X299 chipset from Intel or the Z370 chipset. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, it seems like as I went through the specs, so I didn't have the experience to draw on where you just you know, outlined how the Z370 seems to get the highest quality build components. It's good information to have if you're custom building. Um, to me, it was it, it can only come down to the specs. And X299, mm-hmm. it has a specs advantage. You have 128 gig of RAM that you can use versus only 64 as the max in the Z370. It has 44 PCIe lanes compared to only 16 in the Z370. Um, and then there's a lot more cores um, available in the in the CPUs that can go in the X299 versus the fewer cores that can be in the CPUs that go in the Z370. So it sounds like if you went purely on specs, you're like, well, why wouldn't I want the be- the one that has more of everything, the X299? Um, but to me, the, the cost difference is the, where the problem lies. Um, it's about a $350 difference just to go with that different chipset and enable yourself to get the, the CPUs that are higher. And that's just not, especially with the way Lightroom leverages multiple cores today, they have some areas, the exporting and importing is, is an area where they've, they've really made a difference there. But I live in the library and develop modules. I don't spend much time on either end of those. So, um, that doesn't matter to me as much. I, 
yeah, I can, I'm fine in hitting the export button and I can walk away for a while and go do something else. But if develop's going to be slow, that's going to be really bad. And they haven't yet really made it so that it takes a lot of advantage over these multiple cores. So for now, as I was recording this episode, my recommendation is the Z370 chipset over the Intel X299. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll actually go ahead. If, if you let me just interject yeah, real quick. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree that like specs aren't everything. Like you mentioned, RAM capacity, and yeah, X299 can have more RAM, but you don't need it um, for a Lightroom. You mentioned also PCIe lanes. Yeah, 44 versus 16. Yeah, you don't need those either. Like a video card is 16 lanes. Exactly. And then like, what else are you going to use for for Lightroom? I mean, there's some storage options and stuff. But sure. even if your video card only runs at with eight lanes it's still like there's no performance difference right so yeah a lot of those advantages of x299 simply just don't apply to lightroom right it, there's other workloads that where that's going to be a big big deal but not lightroom as a workload <laughs> so yeah okay real quick before we move on um and and well cpu wise uh you mentioned the uh core i7 8700k cpu that's the one i would pick um any other uh, we talked about the multiple cores you can get core higher core cpus but if you're going to do the z370 then that 8700k is probably the the one to choose how about though if you're going to go order a mac you get a choice between uh, first off it's not eighth generation and that's what we're talking about here is eighth generation cpus it's only seventh gen they haven't refreshed the imac line to have uh, uh, anything past seventh but they have you have a choice when you go to order a mac of 3.8 gigahertz is and this is kind of the the highest end one or 4.2 gigahertz is it worth 200 bucks to pay for that upgrade do you think oh that's a really hard one it, you know what also makes it hard is so much of what determines the speed of a processor is not that singular gigahertz number there's like turbo and speed step and all these other things and especially on apple like they are big about not overwhelming you with options and choices and specs and stuff, which is, you know, a very good thing, honestly, to most people. But you lose that, like, actual knowledge of how fast those CPUs actually are. Um, so to me, I probably would do it 200 bucks for that extra because it's actually probably a bigger difference than just those two sure. uh, gigahertz numbers say. Um, I think that's a hard choice, though. It is at only two hundred bucks. Um, I mean, you're you're going to pay a lot for this machine in the first place. But the other mm. thing to consider is you're not you're not updating this ever. <laughs> like you're right, once right. you buy it in the Mac, you've got it in the Mac. So uh, there are a couple of components that are upgradable, but this is not one of them. So uh, yeah, I would say do it definitely. It's worth the two hundred dollars to go up on that to, on that CPU and max out the CPU. All right, mm -hmm. next component. Let's talk about cooling and this is going to be very different because again i want to remind you matt's going to be specifying one that is not really geared towards overclocking and i'm going to do overclocking so we're going to differ here a lot but matt what do you choose for cpu cooling yeah so yeah we don't do much overclocking so for us uh it's mostly about uh limiting the risk of failure and getting it as quiet as possible. Um, so we almost exclusively use a brand of heat sinks called uh, Noctua. 
Uh, that's N-O-C-T-U-A. Uh, they we mostly use 120 mil, 120 millimeter fans, and it's a traditional air cooler. So like it's a big beefy heat sink. Uh, they are absolutely amazing. Um, they're not the cheapest you can get out there. You can get a lot cheaper ones that look very similar, uh, but a lot of times they're going to be like an aluminum heat sink or they're not going to have as many heat pipes and things like that. So even spec wise, uh, if you're comparing the specs, they may look pretty similar. They're, yeah, they're going to look very, very similar, but the Noctua heat sinks, they're just absolutely solid. Um, the fans are a little bit ugly. They're a nice, like, <laughs> fleshy brown color. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but they they do that as a brand recognition because they are among the absolute best you can possibly buy. And anyone who knows anything about you know fans, you know, it's going to be you know very small subset of you know hardware nerds. But uh, they're going to be able to recognize those fans from across the room, right. and so they they. They go with that color because, man, you know it's a Noctua fan when you see it. Yeah, and I've heard this recommendation from a lot of builders that this is the go-to fan for a build. Enough that you, you'd even replace the ones that come in a case. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, we do that actually quite often. Um, we just call them case upgrade kits. And yeah, we replace all the fans because you know, a lot of cases they have decent fans, but they're usually not the best fans. Uh, so we swap them all out. They're not cheap fans, though, either than Octua's. But man, it makes a big difference when you're sitting next to a computer every day and it's sitting on your desk. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Um, all right. So for me, I'm going to go the opposite. You kind of have two choices. You have the fans or you have the closed loop liquid cooler. And that's what I'm going to opt for. Um, I feel, I don't know. Okay. And maybe this is a good thing to ask you. Have you done much with closed loop stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We, we still use them in a few places and we okay. used to use them a ton. Okay. So is, does it really help? I'm knowing that I want to do overclocking. I put it in my last build. I wanted overclock and that was what I read was, was a good thing to do to really make sure you can get the most out of the overclocking versus fans. Do you think that's true? Yes. As long as you install it correctly. Ah, um, okay. So, so we actually used to do a whole bunch of testing on this. And, and I mean, there's, there's some things like if you get one of the ones that are like dual fan radiators and stuff, yeah, those will, they just simply have more capacity for cooling. Right. right. Um, but the last time we tested it, we found that if you are slapping that radiator on, you know, like the rear fan of your case and it's blowing out of the case, <laughs> right. um, it, it's, it's actually, you know, using all of the hot air that's already in the case from the video card and the RAM and all that stuff and exhausting it out. Um, so basically the, the air you're using to cool the radiator is preheated. Um, and in those cases, those coolers don't do that much better than just a traditional heat sink sure. air cooled thing. Okay. Um, but if you position it so that the radiator is sucking air in from outside, so you just turn that fan around, um, then you're using cool air to cool the radiator, and they can be quite a bit better than an internal, you know, traditional heat sink. Um, the hard part is then you have to make sure you have enough exhaust in the case so you're getting rid of that hot air. Otherwise, right. it's just building up hot inside the case, which isn't good. Which is where your whole thermal imaging part of your build is a big deal. Yeah, makes <laughs> yeah. a big deal. Okay, so I'm going to stick with the... My recommendation is going to be stick with a closed-loop system because I want to do overclocking. And I'm going to go with... Uh, I, I went with this with the build I had before, and I, it was good. I don't have experience with anything else, but I'm, I had a good experience, so I'm going <laughs> to stick with it. And that's a Corsair... Um, 
a Corsair loop and it's the H115i. These things are named so great. Um, it's run really well in my system and this one's going to be a much larger one at 280 millimeter radiator than I had. I think I have 120 today. I can't remember for sure. But anyway, that's going to be my recommendation there. Okay. Motherboard is up next and this isn't something that if you buy a Mac or a big box PC, you get to choose. They're going to be making that choice for you. So we won't... Uh, we won't talk about that and you know connecting with those things but so matt what what are you going to choose for a motherboard oh man so much of motherboard comes down to what you need um so like if you have thunderbolt external drives well you need a motherboard right. that supports thunderbolt if you have a bunch of usb 3.1 you're going to need a board that has 3.1 or you know if you want to go for full full size tower or if you want to go with a little mini itx you know that just changes absolutely everything um so i'm actually not even going to speak about specific models um the one thing i will say is that in terms of brands though okay um so we've used a whole bunch of brands over the years i would say right now the top brand in my opinion is uh, gigabyte um, they seem to be the most solid. They have the best, at uh, least, engineering department when we're working with them. Um, they get BIOS fixes out fastest to get, you know, fix all these different things like that. Um, and then, you know, after that, EVGA and MSI is probably second uh, after that. And then Azus, Azrock, and all those other guys I would put after those. But again, so much of it comes down to does the board have what you need it to do? Most boards out there are going to be perfectly fine for someone building their own machine. Okay. All right. And I'm sad to hear that Asus doesn't <laughs> top your list. <laughs> yeah, they used to. I know. They used to. I, I am a big Asus fanboy. Um, I've tried some... AS Rock has been the other one I tried, mainly because it was more of a value brand when I was doing it. And so I was getting... I thought I was getting more for my money. And then after I used it, I was like, wow, this this is just not giving me what I want. So I, I didn't want to do AS Rock anymore after my one... I mean, I, again, I only have single data points. I don't have tons of equipment I'm going through. So Matt's opinion is, is going to be of higher value than mine. That's why I had him come on the show. He's got way more experience with this stuff than I have. So... Um, but I, I really liked the Asus board that I had in my 2014 build. It has done really well. They haven't provided any much in the way of updates, like you said, though. It's it's uh, been like nothing as far as updates go. Maybe they haven't needed them. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I have the utility running on my PC still that checks all the time. And there's been like no updates to the BIOS or anything for a long, long time. Um, so, but I had a good experience. I did overclocking with it. It made the process really easy. Do you know, Matt? if gigabyte i haven't ever bought a gigabyte board i've read how how many people like them but how do they do they help you with the overclocking stuff really well uh i don't you know honestly because we don't do a lot of overclocking i I can't really talk too much about that okay i mean the the main reasons why we like gigabyte is one their support for thunderbolt is much better than anyone else um and uh, so, so a lot of those things I was talking about, like BIOS updates and stuff, most of those are like when a new chipset launches, there's usually a bunch of bugs for the first couple of months. Once you're outside of those first couple of months, then it's generally not as big of a deal. Okay. It, it's just for us, we don't want to, you know, carry Gigabyte for a couple of months and then switch to Azus once sure. they get their fixes out. We want to sure. just carry one product gotcha. all the way through. Okay. So maybe not a big deal if I continue with Asus then. No, no, probably not. Especially <laughs> at this point, if you're going with a Z370 board, those sure. things have been out for a while. Yeah, they're solid now. They've they've got the bugs worked out. Okay, so I uh, so when you, I'm, I'm going to stick with Asus as the brand. I'm comfortable with it. I know how to do the overclocking with it. That's kind of a big deal for me. I know how to do the overclocking, and so and they make it like super easy. It, it's not uh, it's not staring at 
screens. It used to be a long time ago. I used to try to do it and you had to go figure out how to change the voltage numbers in the BIOS yourself and, and change how everything's going. Now it's, it's this utility you run and it's, it's, it does great. You can do it more extreme still, but, um, that's, that's the kind of overclocking I'm talking about anyway, beside the point. Um, so with Asus, the Z370, there's still a bunch of boards. So you have tons of options. Even within one manufacturer, you got a lot of choices. And it goes to what Matt was saying earlier with the, the different pieces that are on there. There's Thunderbolt and port and the USB 3.1. All of the different features, they, they get more expensive. They get more features. So um, to me, it came down to either the uh, ROG Strikes brand or Strix. I'm not sure how you say it, versus the ROG Hero. And ROG is, is like the gaming platform, the gaming boards. The part of it I wish that they offered was I wish they would put really good hardware into something that didn't look weird. <laughs> like they, yeah. they make these boards that are red and black and colored all over. It just, uh, it feels like there's a lot of expense spent into making it look a certain way that gamers really like, and I care nothing about. And uh, I wish that I like could get a little cheaper board because they wouldn't put so much into the look and appearance of it and just produce a really solid a high performance board with the same quality components but not worrying about the look anyway they don't so it's the rog stuff and um and so strix or hero um i'm going to elect to go with the strix z370e i'm going to say 50 bucks there and the reason but the really reason that i want to do that was um the documentation that i read through this is one that specifically has a heat sink for the m.2 connected drives, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And those drives, if you don't know, they get really hot when they operate. And so a heat sink specifically for the drive was a very appealing feature. There might be other boards that have that too, but it, they specifically pointed it out with this Strix board. So that that's what helped me make the decision. And I think it's going to help me really in my overclocking situation. I might be able to get somewhere near like five gigahertz if I can get all of the different heat removal kinds of things that are going to be part of my picks in there. All right. Next category is memory. So before we get there, um, I have to say that this, uh, well, you, this is a place you can customize your PC or your big box buy if you're going to go to Dell or HP or something. So Matt, I'm going to ask your question about that. Is it worth it? So I'm looking at the Apple site right now for that top of the line Mac. The default is eight gig, which is not enough. 16 is a $400, um, I think it's $400 upgrade. Let's see. Oh, it's a 200, $200 gets you to 16, uh, $600 gets you to 32 and $1,400 gets you to 64. So where would you recommend a photographer go in with those kind of prices? Yeah. So, so I don't, I think this actually doesn't even matter whether you're using an Apple or whether you're buying a Dell or HP or building your own or buying a system from us, honestly, because uh, RAM capacity doesn't change depending on where you're buying. Um, I would say bare minimum is 16 gigs. Um, that's basically our minimum on every system we sell. And I would say that should be a minimum for absolutely everything. Right. Um, Lightroom. Oh man, it depends so much on what you're doing. And it, like if you're having Photoshop open at the same time, or if you're trying to do a little bit of video with Premiere Pro, um, I would, I, <laughs> I would try, I would try to get 32 if you can. Right. Um, I don't think most people are going to benefit from six, from 64 gigs, uh, but definitely 16 and 32. If it fits in your budget, you really should. Uh, Cause Ram is one of those things where, if you run out of RAM, so if, if you're doing something and you, it actually needs more RAM, 
it's actually going to start overflowing onto your hard drive. And right. your hard drive is way slower than RAM. Even the fast like NVMe drives that we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, even those drives are way slower than RAM. So as soon as you kind of hit that overflow, you're going to notice massive performance issues. Um, but having too much RAM doesn't help at all. So yeah, I would say 16 gigs for everybody. 32 gigs if you work with like a lot, lot of images or you work with Photoshop and Lightroom at the same time or just do heavy uh, corrections on images all the time. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. 16 is is the bottom line. Uh, I think you're going to get in trouble real fast if you don't have 16. If you go eight, it's going to be a, a struggle to get things to all run together, especially like, like you won't be able to run your browser along with Lightroom and Photoshop, for example. That's going to be a real challenge to do that. So 16 is the minimum. Definitely worth the $200. That's not even a question. 32, it's a $600 jump to go to 32. And so I, I agree, Matt, like if it's a workflow, if you do a lot of, especially uh, HDR panorama or images where you're at work where you're compositing images together in Photoshop, that's where I've had challenges. So the, the normal edits of, uh, I don't know, like a, an event that you took a, a ton of pictures of, maybe a sports, whatever, just a normal kind of Lightroom moving through a few hundred to maybe a few thousand images and doing just minor edits in Lightroom. 16 is probably going to be enough and maybe you don't need to, you can put that $600 or the additional 400 somewhere else and not go to 32. $1,400 for 64 seems ridiculous to me. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm is. not sure I could recommend that. That seems like an insane amount of money to add to your build in order to get to 64. Um, the other thing, if you're comfortable with it, is that I believe even on the current latest iMacs, they allow you to get to the memory space. Like you can take a little panel off the back and get to the memory. So you might even look into buying memory outside of Apple, maybe even just get the eight gig and then go buy aftermarket memory, make sure it's a good brand, maybe something from crucial, um, yeah. something like that. And, uh, and then upgrade it yourself and you can go all the way up to 64 since it supports that. Um, what I don't know is if you can get all the way to 64, if you don't choose it. So I don't know if, when you choose 64, if that means they put in a different motherboard or a different CPU or something, I, I don't know. So I can't say for sure. But anyway, those are some options to think about. I would not do 64 if you had to buy it from App, uh, Apple and you're not going to upgrade it yourself. 32 would be like the max I would think of there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, uh, for your build then yourself, Matt, what would you recommend? Um, so, I mean, we already talked about capacity and all that. Um, so there's... So a lot of people, I think, get really hung up on like specs of RAM. They, they they look at like the frequency it's running at. They look at the timings. But man, we've done a whole bunch of testing, and it's minor changes. Like you can go with a super high frequency RAM and all this kind of stuff, and it'll net you like a percent of performance. <laughs> um, okay. But going with that really high frequency RAM, if it's not set up exactly right, and like you're testing it out of the box to make sure it's solid from the get go it can cause a lot more problems than even overclocking your CPU. Um, so we tend to go as like stock speeds on RAM as possible. So we match whatever Intel says their CPU supports and we just go with that. Um, so um, we are much more about what brands we carry because different brands have much different uh, failure rates. So for us, uh, the top three, I would say are Crucial, Micron and Samsung. Um, None of those, I think Crucial might have some flashy, you know, overclock, high frequency RAM, but those other guys, like, they're just very boring, solid, 
they get the job done and they don't break. Yeah. Kind of ram. Okay. So crucial would be your top one. Crucial or Micron. I I think they might even be like the same Uh ships. I I think so. And then Samsung as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, I run out of memory all the time. I have 32 gig in the build I have today from 2014 and I run out of it constantly enough that I'm like closing browsers. Like I said, I'm closing (laughs) that everything else, try to give it as much memory as I can to get my, get the job done. So I'd really love to go to 64 gig. But I just can't. Um, for price, for one, it's just a lot of money. Even though Apple's charging, you know, qu- quite a bit more, uh, it's still really expensive. Just building it yourself and trying to get these pieces. And the problem is, you have <laughs> these crypto miners uh, trying to like mine bitcoins and, and other cryptocurrency. They are they they were for several years now. They've been building these monster boxes where they were taking video cards and memory and loading them up into boxes so that they could go go mine those uh, that cryptocurrency and it's driven the price up because the the supply has gone way down people were buying these things like crazy and the supply wasn't there so the price went really high and that that's really it's still kind of around today um it's calmed down a bit i'm going to talk about that later but um so i i for price i don't feel like i could go 64 today and also um I'd have to put in four memory sticks if I went to 64 and for overclocking and heat dissipation in particular, you get less heat with, we have fewer sticks of memory in the machine. So I was, I'm going to stick with 32 and, um, after reading through all kinds of people sharing opinions about builds and, and particularly with overclocking, I decided I'm going to go with the G skill brand um, because it seems to be a little bit more friendly to overclocking. I'm not sure I want to overclock the RAM itself. I might do in the BIOS. A lot of them have a, an extreme memory setting where it, you know that's going to be fairly safe. It might do a tiny bit of overclocking on the memory, but not not very not uh, a huge amount. I'm more comfortable overclocking the CPU than I am the memory for sure. So I'm going to choose uh, two 16 gigabytes sticks of G-Skill Trident Z DDR4-3200 memory. And it's uh, it's very expensive to do it. Thanks, crypto miners. That's uh, fabulous for us all. But, uh, but that's where I would go uh, in my build. Okay, next option is storage. Um, and I, I told, I said kind of at the top of the show here that these components are not listed in an order of like priority as far as what impacts Lightroom. And storage is one of the options that my experience has been really dramatically affects the performance of Lightroom. If you run the Lightroom catalog, if you run Windows, and if you're pulling your photos all off of slow disk, that's going to be a significant bottleneck in the system. So having fast storage for running the program from running Lightroom from a fast disk and having your catalog on a fast disk and having your photos on at least kind of faster disk, it doesn't need to be quite as fast for that, uh, really makes a big difference. Now, that's not to say you couldn't go real cheap on a on like an Intel Core i3 processor and get super fast disk and you're going to have good performance because that's not true. These things work together and you can make decisions on on other pieces that make them the bottleneck instead of the storage. Um, so, but, but I still think storage is just really, really important um, enough that I would definitely recommend if you're buying a Mac that uh, you go to the 15, the 512 gigabyte SSD. If you can go to the one terabyte, that's another 400 bucks, but it's, it's definitely worth it. I would not buy the fusion drives. They, um, they help. They're better than, than like really slow disks <laughs> that, that you can get without the, 
kind of hybrid nature of a fusion drive where they mix an SSD with, with a magnetic disc. But it's definitely worth the $200, even though the storage goes way down from two terabytes or three terabytes of fusion drive down to a 512 gig, you're, you're cutting it in like a quarter. Uh, it's, it's good to have that be your, your uh, primary boot drive is to have the 512. And, and I might even suggest if the budget's there, the one terabyte SSD, but I would definitely upgrade further beyond like it. I would prioritize buying the 32 gig of RAM or the better CPU over going from a 512 gigabyte SSD to one terabyte. And then you can add external storage with Thunderbolt on a Mac. What does anything there you disagree with there, Matt? No, not at all. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of fusion or hybrid drives or whatever. A lot of people have been trying to make them work, but the, the problem with those drives is like, this essentially using the internal SSD is like a cache. So anything that you open a whole bunch of times or do a lot often, it learns and it moves that stuff onto the cache. So that's going to be like booting your OS will be faster or near SSD speeds or launching Lightroom will be near SSD speeds. But anything that's like actually like working with your images and stuff like that's not actually being loaded over and over and over and over. So it never learns to move that stuff onto the SSD. Right. So once you're actually in Lightroom, those drives are essentially just platter drives. Yeah. Um, and you know, all with all the slowness associated with those. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of those hybrids. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Go with an SSD as your primary drive uh, minimum. Yeah. And the 512 should get you enough that you can have your programs installed there, your OS and your programs, and then your, um, you could probably put your catalog there too, and then you'll need a, an external drive and get a Thunderbolt and get some SSD added there externally um, later. I would definitely, I would stay away from the two terabyte SSD. That's a, a whopping $1,200 more <laughs> to go there. And that's just an exorbitant amount of money. So I would, uh, I would not go there. I, the max I would say is a one terabyte SSD. Okay. Matt, what about though for your custom or your build of a PC? What would you recommend there? Um, so like I was saying, definitely an SSD for your primary drive. Because um, there's basically three kinds of drives, if it, if anyone out there isn't familiar. Um, there's the platter drives. Those things have been around forever. Um, performance is actually getting decent on them, but they're not very snappy kind of thing. So like if you're just doing a straight file copy, they're not too bad. But actually working well off of them, not super great. So those kind of platter drives are basically like storage drives. So once you're done with your project, you throw everything over there. Um, in Lightroom, even if you're working off one of them, like all of your images are on a store, uh, platter drive, it's probably not that much slower, but it's still, you want to get all of your images on an SSD. Um, so yeah, so there's platter drives, there's SSDs, those have been around for quite a while now. They're getting much more affordable. Um, I think it's only going to be like three or four years when they're supposed to hit price parity with platter drives, which would be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely that for like your OS drive and um, any like active projects. If you're doing like a secondary drive, uh, definitely use SSDs. Um, and then there are now these newer NVMe drives. So those come in M.2 or NVMe or uh, sorry, U.2, M.2 or U.2. Uh, most of the time, you're going to be coming across M.2 drives on desktops. Um, and those things are honestly pretty nuts. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the fastest ones you can get now are 3.5 gigabytes a second read uh, versus SSDs that are usually around 500 megs right. uh, a second. So that's seven, is that my math right? Seven times faster. Uh, but the issue is that like, once you get above an SSD speed, um, you are not going to be limited by your storage speed. Like you were talking about before, like everything works together and something else will become a bottleneck. Usually once you get beyond an SSD in Lightroom, 
your CPU is a bottleneck. And I think it's going to be for quite a while. So like having your images or photos and catalog and stuff on an M.2 drive, I don't think is really necessary. Um, putting your OS on an M.2 and like your program, so having that be your primary drive, uh, that can uh, improve things a little bit. It'll just make programs launch faster, right, right. make Windows launch faster. It might not even be enough that you would really tell um, if you like weren't doing a side-by-side comparison, but it kind of like adds up over time. And they're not that much more expensive right. when you're just talking about like a 512 gig drive. Yeah. And, and they're the slots in the newest motherboard. So you may as well, or at least I'm justifying it to myself because, because it's a shiny <laughs> new thing that I really want to try out. <laughs> and, yeah, no, they are awesome. And I have not ever used one. My 2014 build, there was no such thing as an M.2 connector back then. So uh, I have no experience using them, but I really want to give it a try. And I want to see kind of what is what's actually practical. So I'm really glad you spoke to it about what's going to matter. It sounds like you're, you're saying you're not going to see probably a really significant difference if you switched out, say, your um, SSD drive where your OS is and maybe your catalog, maybe some photos versus an M- M.2 and NVMe. Uh, I don't think massive. Uh, the main places, at least in like content creation, where those drives are useful is sure. actually in like video. Right. Uh, so right. like people working with AK raw video crazy stuff, like that's where those drives really come into play. Um, and something like photography, I, I would say it's more of a quality of life luxury kind of a thing rather than a necessity like an SSD is. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. So anyway, my my recommendation, um, I'm going to stick with Samsung. I've just read tons about it. And I've only bought Samsung drives as a result of all the reading I've done about it. Never had one have a problem. They really seem good. Um, do you have any recommendations there, Matt, on, on brands of, of drives for SSD and NVMe? I'm 100% agreeing with you, Samsung. Um, we've used quite a bit of other drives. And there, there's a few specialty drives out there, like, like if you need something very specific that Samsung doesn't have. But like for an SSD or an M.2, 100% Samsung. Yeah. Um, we sell thousands of those drives and we, we track failure on absolutely everything we sell, That everything that goes out of our door. And Samsung drives have like, it's an insanely low failure rate. Like we'll sell thousands and then one will have like a, a small problem so we replace it. But like it's it's like minuscule failure rate compared to motherboards or even CPUs or RAM or anything like that. So yes, Samsung 100%. Okay. So uh, yeah, I want the shiny new M.2 NVMe. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't help myself and and I want to try that out. And so I I would go with the 960 Evo. There's a, it's $50 less to do that versus the 960 Pro. And the performance difference, as I looked at the specs, they weren't so different. Is there, do you think there's a difference in like reliability or anything like that between the Pro Uh, and Evo? The pros do have, um, so hard drive reliability, or at least in SSDs, are in terms of terabytes written. So how many terabytes you can write to the drive before it's essentially outside of warranty. And the uh, pros have a higher rating, but I don't think it's going to be that critical for something like Lightroom. Um, So yeah, I would stick with the Evos. Uh, The one thing I will mention is, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but Samsung actually fairly recently launched the 970 series. So now there's 970 Evos. And uh, I'm not sure what the price difference is. I think they might actually be cheaper, uh, but the uh, fail or the terabytes written is vastly increased. Where the 970 Evo, I think, is pretty close to what the 960 Pro um, is. So uh, 
Okay. I, I would I would uh, definitely check out the 970 Evos if you can. I did see them there, and I hadn't read anything about them yet, so I, I didn't want to go there because I didn't know about them. So, okay, I would look into the 970 and, and see if there's no... If, especially they're cheaper. Man, of course, go for that. Uh, but that would be my choice. A 512 gigabyte one is what I would go with. I, I'm currently in my 2014 build. I'm, I'm living on a 256, and it's a little tight. Um, with all the software, with Windows installed, with all the software installed, and the kicker is when upgrades come. That's where it when it becomes tight because Microsoft dumps a whole bunch of temporary data out to your drive, and I have tried so hard to figure out how to say I don't want it there on the main drive. Put it somewhere else, and it just doesn't seem to be a way to do that. So you got to have enough room that you can also do an in place upgrade, and you're going to even we're going to talk about it later. But even with a Pro, you got to have you, you do have to take upgrades at some point. So um, you don't want to be in a situation where you've got to do a whole bunch of work to get an upgrade to happen. And um, so I'm going to say 512 is going to be like the smallest I would recommend if you're going to plan to use it that way, where it's your boot drive and where you're going to install all your programs so that you have make sure you have plenty of space for your updates to happen. I would also add a second drive, um, and this would just be the workflow I've gone to and did seem to matter for my own usage. I noticed a difference. I, I've got a workflow where I'm the photos I'm actually working on go on a two and a half inch SSD drive. So it's, it's just a normal SATA connection to the drive, not an NVMe drive. And I don't know that you'd get a huge benefit to having it be an NVMe drive or, or the M2 connection. So um, the Samsung 860 Evo 256 gig SATA drive is 80 bucks. And uh, it seems like it'd be well worth it. If you're going to build a PC and, and have it be there, you can have that really fast NVMe for your OS and applications. Then you have this SSD for the, the photos you're actually actively working on. And then you use like a, a normal magnetic platter drive for long-term star, uh, storage and archival. All right. So there's, those, those are what I would go with. Video card. Let's go there next. Um, start off with if you're going, if you have the option to upgrade uh, with the big box stores, and as I'm looking with the Apple and the iMac, you really don't have that. It's just baked in. You're going to get a Radeon Pro 580 with eight gigabytes of RAM on the highest end one. If you choose more of a middle tier, you do, I think, get some choices. Uh, well, no, it's it looks like it's Radeon Pro for any of them because of the 5K display. They just need that graphics processor. So you don't really get to choose there. But if it's an HP or a Dell or something and you get to pick and you have kind of an option, um, what would you recommend? How would you recommend photographers make a choice there, Matt? Um, yeah. So I will say, first of all, if you can go NVIDIA, go NVIDIA. Um, that's not an option on Macs uh, whatsoever. No. Nope. But on like HP, Dell or whoever else are building their own, uh, definitely do NVIDIA. Um, it, it sure seems like the CUDA architecture that NVIDIA uses is just it's much more fleshed out. Um, Adobe seems to work with it better yeah. So uh, across everything they do. Um, I've even heard from d different developers, not specifically at Adobe, but uh, developers in general talk about how CUDA is just so much easier for them to work with than OpenCL or Metal or OpenGL or all these other ones. So they almost tend to prioritize working on it anyway because it's simpler for them. So I, I think for a long time, NVIDIA is going to be the go-to choice um, over AMD. Uh, but as far as like HPs and Dells and stuff, 
You know, I think for Lightroom, it's not such a big deal as it is in other applications like Photoshop yes. or Premiere. Um, so I, I would mostly base my decision on whether there is enough uh, VRAM. So that's uh, RAM internally on the video card. Um, and I would say a minimum is probably about four gigs. So four gigabytes of VRAM. After that, I think that's about as good as you're going to need. Um, most Dell and HPs and stuff are going to be pretty underpowered on the GPU side. But again, I don't think that's a huge deal for Lightroom. Okay, so as priority goes, you'd put it down the ways on the list for upgrading the video card or the video memory to have yeah. more, you know, paying more for that. You, the CPU, the disk, the chipset, those are the thing. Those are definitely higher priority as far as benefiting Lightroom. Is that what you're yeah, you suggesting? Yeah, for right now. Yeah, for, for right, right now. now right. Um, I, yeah, and just skipping straight ahead towards like, you know, if you're going to build your own and stuff, um, just because I think it kind of flows, is I, I have seen across all of the Adobe packages, like they are making a big effort on GPU acceleration. Um, it started off with like Premiere and then After Effects and Photoshop. Lightroom is kind of at the tail end of everything, and they've been doing a, a little bit, um, but... I, I think that is going to be their next push after they've um, done all this like multi-threading, multi-core kind of stuff on the CPU. My guess, like this is nothing official. <laughs> I haven't heard anything <laughs> right. official from them at all. <laughs> but my, my guess is that uh, GPU acceleration is going to be the next push. Now, whether that's in the next year or the next two or three years, who knows? But um, so, yeah, the nice thing is video cards are easy to upgrade. So going with something cheaper and more affordable, that's, good enough today you can just upgrade it in a couple of years and you know take advantage of whatever they're going to do sure yeah i I totally agree with you um (laughs) that's it it just doesn't lightroom just doesn't do a good job in fact i'm i the way i say it is i'm thoroughly disappointed actually with how lightroom just like barely leverages the video card today they i think there's an untapped power there i I agree too that they're i I really think that they're looking into this and they're trying to figure out how to leverage it but that's it's not as simple as like that low-hanging fruit i talked about with the the multiple cores and getting the um the processing to work better for exports and imports. Um, this is a different thing. This is a totally different thing to do. It's much harder and not, uh, it, and, and I think that I hope they're working on it. In fact, it was my prediction in, in 2017. We, we always do a prediction show and we talk about what we think is going to happen. And I predicted in 2016 that in 2017, Lightroom was going to finally have GPU acceleration in a good way. Something that was actually helpful and they didn't do it. So I, I missed my prediction. Um, um, today, it's really only there for 4K displays. That's They've said that very openly, that that's what they have added. And based on what I'm reading in the forums all the time, it's not really even accomplishing that goal in a lot of situations. It's, uh, it's barely enough. Um, it seems like they really kind of did enough to make it work with the Max. That's kind of the biggest place where they, they made sure it was going to be okay. They could drive the 5K IMAX since they knew those were coming out, which means they had to go to um, work with AMD cards too, with Radeon cards. So that's that's a whole separate thing, I think, for, for what Adobe did. And I don't think it really applies. In fact, I've, I have a, a laptop that I bought a long time ago that has an AMD card in it. It's the exact same 
model a mobile radeon card that's in that laptop and it does not it's not supported by lightroom even though on the mac it is on a pc and windows it is not you can't enable gpu acceleration so they're not the same it's not the same approach i i also support nvidia i also think photographers tend to overspend because this can be a really big thing for gamers video games tend to leverage video cards in significant ways it makes massive difference lightroom really doesn't photoshop kind of there's there's more there, but it's it's still not a, a overly impressive kind of thing. Some other programs like After Effects do a much better job leveraging the power there. But for photography, it's just not worth it to spend a lot of money here. So my choice would be a gigabyte GeForce GTX 1060 six gigabyte um, wind force OC. So again, my tendency to overclock here, I want the capability in particular, what the overclocking thing here is going to do is heat dissipation. That's the biggest difference. This card's going to have some big, massive heat sinks and fans built on it. And some cards wouldn't. So I want to do everything I can to get heat out of that box so I can do some overclocking. And that's why I'm going to pick that card. Um, all right, let's go on to cases. So we're kind of, this is something you can't choose if you're doing a a Mac or a a big box PC. So Matt, let's jump straight into what your picks would be for a case. Yeah, man, case, you can do whatever you want. Mostly, um, my, so, so we have to care about, at least for us, um, like, is it going to survive shipping? (laughs) (laughs) And that's something most people don't have to care about. Right. Um, so for us, that's a huge limitation because so many cases out there, like the the mounting for hard drives is just terrible. It's like a couple of plastic tabs and like it's great if you're building your own because it's super easy. Yeah. But for us, that, that hard drive just becomes a wrecking ball in, in shipping. Um, so we tend to deal with uh, Fractal quite a bit on uh, micro ATX and up. And uh, they're very solid cases, very affordable, actually. Um, the fans are pretty good on them. So I, I'm a fan of Fractal. Um on anything smaller, so micro ATX and down, I actually uh, like Silverstone quite a bit. I think a lot of their stuff is very solid. Their fans aren't quite as nice, um, so we tend to replace those fans quite often. But uh, very solid builds. I mean, anything small is going to be a pain to work in, but their layouts seem to be the best out of anyone out there that I know of. All right. For my choice, it, it, the thing that's hard is a lot of these cases are geared towards gamers and they look so funny. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I hate it how they've got, they've got weird angles and they, they've got special paint jobs and oh gosh, it's just like, please, I just want a normal looking box to put this in. So, and lights all over the place, LED lights. It's, it's crazy. The, the kind of stuff that's out there. Um, but I do have a couple of specific requirements as I'm doing this and it has to go with some of the stuff we've already talked about. So I've got, I have to have room for my, 280 millimeter closed loop radiator. I, I really want good airflow. Some some cases just aren't designed well for airflow. I, I think that's improved a lot in, in cases now, but a few years ago when I was first doing my overclock build, there were lots of cases that I was reading about, like don't use this when the airflow is just not designed properly. It won't matter what good fans or how good the radiator is. It's not designed very well and, and it doesn't do well. So good airflow. Um, I want numerous bays for hard drives. I talked about the hard drives I'm recommending in this build, but I already today have uh, five magnetic drives in my machine for various purposes. And so I, I need lots of base for drives. And then the one the killer that it seems to be going extinct, I still do need a five and a quarter inch slot for a DVD drive. And I didn't remember that until <laughs> until today, as I was doing, I updated the notes on you, Matt, earlier today. <laughs> um, and that's because I, I do write to DVDs occasionally. Um, 
for customers, clients as, as a photographer. And some people may still be doing that like I am. Um, so I was going to go with the NZXT H440 as the case. I really liked how it looked. I liked the price for it. And it had a huge number of drive slots, 11 three and a half inch drives and eight two and a half inch drives. But uh, it didn't have that five and a quarter inch slot for a DVD drive. So instead, I'm going to go to Fractal. And I like the Fractal Design Define R6 Black TG ATX Mid Tower case. So that's what I'm going to recommend there. Okay. How about power supply? You don't get to pick this with a Mac or a big box. So what would you recommend for a custom build? Yes, yeah, so power supply, I would say, is the most overlooked thing that people don't spend enough money on, to be honest. Um, so many people are like, oh, it's just power supply. It just provides power. But no, no, power supplies are super important. Uh, power supplies break things if you get a cheap one. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, definitely don't skimp here. Uh, capacity is kind of your first concern. I think for most people, like 500 watts can be fine. We generally start around 650 to give people um, you know, space to expand, add drives and stuff without having to worry about it. Um, but I would say brand, again, is probably one of the first things to make sure you look at. Don't go and buy some cheap knockoff. Yeah, I, I don't even know what those brands are anymore because they change every year. <laughs> right. Uh, but so, so get something high quality. Uh, there's a lot of good brands out there. Uh, I would rate EVGA actually as top. They just got into power supplies probably four or five years ago, but their stuff has been rock solid. We've been using those things for years now. Uh, very quiet, very high reliability. Um, Seasonic and Crucial, is it Crucial? No, Corsair. Corsair, yeah. Corsair, yeah. Seasonic and Corsair are, prob- are very good as well. Um, but then I would mostly stick with those three, EVGA, Seasonic, Corsair, if I had to pick between them. Okay. So as I was going through to this point, or actually the, the whole thing, this is the last component inside the computer. Um, my wattage, the estimated wattage was 350 for all the stuff I've talked about. So um, in theory, you could go, you could get by with a 350 watt power supply, but that would be very dangerous. <laughs> you, you need some headroom. Uh, it's not going to be constant at 350. And I want overclock. So I need some, some room there. I also want to make sure that there's one that's efficient. And it's not for the reason you might think. So there there's an efficiency rating that goes with um, power supplies and the efficiency rating it I thought for a long time it was like how it deals with consuming electricity it has nothing to do with that <laughs> the efficiency is how well does it transfer the power from your electrical outlet into the computer without converting that into heat and so heat is a massive thing I'm trying to get rid of. Remember in my overclocking, I want to get rid of all that heat. So I want to make sure I have a really, a really efficient power supply so that it's not bringing heat into the box as much as possible. It's going to bring some, there's nothing you can do about that. So, um, uh, for that reason, I'm recommending and oh, and I have experience with a Corsair. So I, the, my 2014 build, I, d- I did a Corsair. It had a modular design. That was really nice. I liked that. Kept things nice and tidy inside the box because I only put in the, uh, the power connectors that I needed, not having a whole bunch of power connectors laying around in the case. So very, very nice there. And it works flawlessly. So I'm going to stick with that brand. And it was Corsair HX Platinum 750 watt 80 plus. Um, power supply. So platinum on the rating was what I I wanted to go there. All right. Monitor. Let's talk about that quickly here Um, because I have a pretty strong opinion here based on just some experience that I've had. But Matt, what are you going to recommend for a monitor? 
Yeah, so we don't actually do a whole bunch with peripherals because, man, so much of it comes down to personal choice and what you want and what you need. It, it's kind of like keyboards and mice. Like, same thing, too. Like, some people really love mechanical keyboards. Some people hate the clicky sounds of it. Um, and, you know, mice are all over the place. Um, so I don't have any specifics here. Um, I will say that I absolutely love dual monitor setups. Um, and if anyone's still working on a single monitor, man, try to find some junker monitor or something and just stick it off to the side and see what it's like to have two monitors because just being able to throw things over onto that other monitor is absolutely amazing. So if you can, I, I would highly encourage trying to do that. Um, beyond that, I, again, I think so much of it comes down to preference. I don't know if 4K is really necessary for a lot of people. It's a big buzzword. I personally like uh, 2.5K uh, quite a bit. Um, the only thing I would say on monitors is especially in photography, you have to decide whether you need a uh, 10-bit support, so 10-bit color, because uh, there's not very many monitors out there at reasonable prices that can do 10-bit, plus you need a video card that can support it. So all those GeForce cards we were talking about before, um, those don't support 10-bit at right, all, right. so you'd have to get a more expensive Quadro card. Um, and I'm not sure how many actual photographers need that, but a lot of people in like graphic design who do like photography on the side, a lot of times they'll want that 10-bit support. Um, but as far as brands go, I think the top three myself are probably LG, Samsung, and actually Dell. Um, Dell makes a lot of really good stuff that's actually very affordable. Yeah. Okay. So here's where my strong opinion is going to come in. <laughs> I think that even though 4K displays are all their age and everyone's, yeah, they've become very cost effective and, and reasonable from that perspective. I strongly advise don't go to 4K right now. I hope it will change in the future. And I hope that like we talked about with the video cards that Adobe's going to make Lightroom take advantage of them better and better support 4K monitors, but they struggle today. Lightroom struggles to keep up with that kind of resolution. The stuff wasn't designed around that. They they built Lightroom a long time ago before these were around. And uh, the 2.5K display is still plenty of resolution, even if you you have a really high resolution camera that you're using a 50 megapixel camera 2.5k is a sweet spot i think to get the most performance out of it yet still have a really a, a sufficiently high resolution monitor so that you can do some good detailed work and 4k today is just not well supported by lightroom it struggles that's why they had to go do the gpu work that they did trying to leverage the video card so that they could make that work re reasonably and it just doesn't reliable for that either and so i I hear from people constantly are saying, yeah, I got the 4K monitor and it doesn't work well. And the trick I've told uh, that we've found is if you don't have Lightroom take up the whole screen, if you resize it down so it's not full screen display, then the performance comes back and it does better again. So it's a workaround, but you don't want to have to do that. You don't want to have to run Lightroom in not in full screen. So my recommendation is a 2.5K. It's a 2560 by 1440, 27-inch display. And I'm going to lean to Dell. Oh, I also... You want to make sure it's IPS technology. There is a big difference there. And um, I prefer the display port. I think it's the very best connector for... Uh, between your computer and the monitor better than HDMI, even the 1.3 version um, and VGA for sure. So display ports, my preferred connector there. And uh, so Dell U2717D is the model that I would go with, though I will not be mon buying a monitor for a while because I have a 27 inch 2560 display. And that's one of the beautiful things about doing a custom build. I don't have to pay for that again. So that's really nice. 
Okay, Matt, Windows 10. Before we talk... Before we talk about Windows 10, I wanted to uh, quickly talk about Hackintosh. So, <laughs> I, you know, you might think, well, Jeff's an ideal candidate for Hackintosh. Uh, it takes a lot of technical expertise. It's where you run Mac OS on non-Apple hardware. You build your own custom PC, but then you install Mac OS on it instead of Windows or Linux. And... I, you know, you might think that's perfect, but I've tried it. I did it a couple of years ago. I really gave it a really solid effort. I ran it for about a month and it was so unstable and had so many problems. And if there's any updates that come out, you're back to square one in a lot of cases. Uh, I couldn't get everything to work flawlessly, like messages. That's a really nice feature in Mac OS. I couldn't use that very well. It just, it's just not good. So at least for me, it was way more effort than I'm willing to use. I want to have photography be my hobby. I don't want to have taking care of a Hackintosh operating system be my hobby. <laughs> I have to work on that constantly. So my advice is stay away from that. Don't don't even go there unless that's something you're interested in doing and babysitting and tending a, an OS um, that's not supported by anybody. Then um, I guess you can choose that, but I, I recommend staying away. So Matt, Windows is probably the preferred way to do that. Linux is a, is a great operating system. I love it. I use it at work all the time. But it's not great for photographers. There's not a lot of support. You can't run Lightroom. You can't run Photoshop. So Windows is is the uh, the OS that I think we're going to recommend here. Which version and home or pro? Uh, so definitely Windows 10. Um, Windows 7 was a solid OS, but it's going to be hitting end of support cycle here in the next year or two, I think. Um, so And once that hits, you're no longer getting security updates. So... Yeah, don't use Windows 7, I would say. Uh, Windows 8 was terrible. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know why you would use Windows 8 over Windows 10. Uh, but Windows 10 is actually solid. Uh, I actually really, really like it. Uh, the last OS that I liked as much as Windows 10 was probably Windows XP. And, you know, that thing, I mean, it took them forever to finally pull support because so many people were using it and loved it. Um, I mean, there are some things that people don't like about Windows 10. There's a whole bunch of, like, privacy things was a big uh, issue for a while. It does pre-install some... You know, it's not, I don't think it's actually Candy Crush, but essentially Candy Crush type <laughs> right. things on your system. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. Those, those are easy. Yeah, those are easy to get rid of. I mean, you just right click on them and say uninstall. Uh, the privacy stuff, um, there are a couple of different ways you can handle that. Uh, there's a software called, I think it's Shut Up 10, actually, um, that you could just run and it just does all the privacy stuff um, and it just turns all that stuff off. Um, so Windows 10, yep, is very good. I would actually push people towards Windows 10 Pro if you can. Um, and I think that surprises a lot of people because Windows 10 Home, uh, like in terms of like features and stuff, like, yeah, it's fine. Like it, the Pro doesn't give them anything else they need. It's just more expensive. Um, except for one thing that Pro does, and it, it's an option to, it's called Defer Upgrades. Um, and that thing has been Awesome. Uh, once we started doing that, it really improved um, like support, number of support phone calls coming in. Uh, because Windows 10 Home, basically, we think of it as the beta version of Windows 10. Because uh, anytime they make these new upgrades, um, which are, aren't like security updates, it's just like quality of life features kind of a thing. They push it to like Windows 10 Home users first. They get all the blue screens, get all the problems, all the bugs. And then once it's fixed, then it goes out to these Windows 10 Pro users that had the defer upgrades um, option checked. So we do defer upgrades on everything with Windows 10 Pro. 
and it has been so much better. So yeah, I would definitely do Windows 10 Pro if you can. Perfect. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, I think Pro is it, that really helps. Deferring those upgrades is is a really big deal. And it, I wish that they had a better track record, but they've really not done so well with upgrades in the last uh, year, last six months, or well, I guess year because the last two major updates they've had significant problems. So um, it's nice to be able to defer those upgrades. Uh, I am on home today and I will pay for the pro (laughs) when I I upgrade for that reason. Um, Okay, let's talk about total costs. So this is something I want to make sure listeners take away from this episode. And I I hope the Mac and PC big box buyers have stayed with us to to get to this part of the discussion. Um, Editing digital photos... It just takes a good computer, especially if you're going to run Lightroom. There's some other products out there that I think are built. They, they've been built more recently. They take better advantage of hardware in a way that, that makes it so they might not have quite as big a, a requirement for hardware. Lightroom just does. It's a 15-year-old a, it's a product at this point. And um, they're doing a, a fairly good job with it. I think that there's some major emphasis to make it do better. But as we're talking about it here in 2018, you, you just have to be prepared to spend some money on a computer. You can't expect that you're going to go and I get this question constantly. I, people send me like some advertisement that they saw online for a, uh, I don't know, a Dell and HP or whatever kind of brand it is out there, some pre-built big box computer that's been put on sale. And like, is this a good one? Is this a good one? And they're hoping the answer is like, yeah, that's going to be great because it's only $500. And that's just, it's not practical to think that you're going to get a machine that's going to do really well with Lightroom and Photoshop, especially at the same time, if on, on a machine that's, that's that inexpensive. So I, I strongly advise you to consider that. I think you need to think about a computer being like any other piece of camera gear that you're investing in. Um, you know that lenses, when you buy them, you get what you pay for. And it's they're just expensive. That's how it is. And, and if you want really good image quality, you need to invest in good glass. Same with your camera. There's, you know, you can get less expensive ones that have, uh, and do really well with them. But think of your computer, like another part of your camera gear that you've got to invest in. You gotta, you gotta be prepared to spend some money on. And I speaking from experience here, I was a developer. I've been a developer for over 20 years and I've, I've always custom built my computers, but it was never, I was never a gamer and I didn't prior to getting into photography, I didn't have a reason to really build a monster computer. It was just enough to meet my needs, um, get online, do some Word, build tools, applications, what didn't require a really massive computer. I I would love to have it, but I couldn't justify the expenses I was building it myself. When I first started in photography, it was just GIMP and I didn't really know anything. And I was, I finally, as the months ticked by, decided I need to get into Lightroom and and Photoshop because everything was pushing me that way. All the advice you get, everything... And uh, so I finally downloaded a trial and I realized, wow, this Core i3 machine that I was running at the time uh, with, I don't know, I can't remember all the specs, but it was a while ago and and it just wasn't going to get it done. So I I definitely saved, I I looked into it and and knew what I needed to get to save my money and I delayed getting other camera gear even because I knew I needed to do that. It it results in an experience where it's 
it's uh, far more enjoyable when the computer is actually able to keep up with you as you're editing your photos. That's a massive difference between that and getting so frustrated because you're moving a slider in the develop module of Lightroom and you have to wait several seconds just to see where you stopped the slider, what what's going to look like. It's just not, not something that you're going to want to do. So I strongly recommend you consider you need to invest in a computer. It can last you for a bit. I've got four years out of the build that I did. I'm, pr- I'm going to go a fifth. And I'll explain that in a second. But um, I wanted to preface that and put that in here that don't think you're going to be able to go get a $300, $400, $500 computer and have it really go well because it's just not. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. So with that background, Matt, tell me kind of what the, the pricing uh, build looks like for Puget. Yeah. So first of all, I want to totally agree with you about you get what you pay for. Um, and actually, I just turned around and looked behind me because we have on our wall here one of our mission statements. That's uh, we believe computers should be a pleasure to purchase and own. They should get your work done and not be a hindrance. And it, that is what you pay for when you when you buy from a you know, place like us or you just buy a higher quality anything or you build your own. It's the not being a hindrance. <laughs> Um, so our, our systems totally change depending on what you spec out, obviously. Um, I would say most of our Lightroom systems range between $2,500 and $3,500, depending on whether they you know, want a whole bunch of storage or different options like that. But that, that's I think, is probably about the normal, $2,500 to $3,500. That's with you know, our warranty and all of the testing we do. Um, we also have financing and leasing and all that kind of stuff. But that's a general bar par- ballpark. Okay. So for my cost, the, the build that I'm going to do, it comes in around $2,000. Um, that's without the monitor and because I already have one. I don't need another. So if you add add about $500 for a good monitor, then you're up to $2,500. But that also does leave me doing all of the testing and the validation of all the components and figuring out if something's wrong. I'm going to be doing the overclocking. It's, there's a whole bunch of sweat equity is kind of the thing in, in getting it down to be that kind of a price. But it's still that expensive. It's still going to be around a $2,000 investment to get something that's going to last you for a while and really become get out of your way so that it's not a hindrance like we just talked about. Um, and that's actually more than that I have in the hobbyist budget at the moment. Um, so I am going to actually wait on this. I'm not going to pull the trigger and go buy it. I'm going to stick with my 2014 build for another year. The biggest reason is I kind of expect prices are going to go down a, a fair amount. Those crypto miners, we talked about them a little bit earlier. That's kind of calmed because it's gotten to the point now where it takes it costs more in electricity to try to mine these things than the currency ends up being worth. So it's a, a losing proposition for the majority of it now. So the the supply is starting to catch up again with the demand. And I anticipate prices are going to come down, especially on video cards and memory. And I don't think I want to buy at the point where it's still relatively high at the moment. So I, I want to give it a year for it to come down and see where it's at in a year, get another year out of my custom twenty my 2014 custom build. And then I'll look to do that. So Matt, do you think you're in for coming back and talking about this in a year? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) All right. That would be great. So um, incidentally, just in case you were wondering, um, there really isn't an equivalent Mac for me. So I have a really good 27 inch monitor. I don't want to, I don't need a new one. Um, the Mac mini and MacBook pro, they don't go higher than 16 gig of Ram. And I want 32 at a minimum for the kind of work that I do. So that means it's an iMac and that would be kind of a, a difficult thing. Cause I buying a monitor essentially again in an iMac, um, that would have a 5k display, which I 
told you already, I consider kind of to be a negative because of the the performance and the way Lightroom struggles with that kind of resolution today. But the the price of equivalent, so similar but more dated hardware, they're not as up to date as the hardware we just walked through. It would be about thirty three hundred dollars for me to get that, and uh, so it's it's easily a thousand dollars more for me to go get a Mac versus my Windows PC, and that's just for me. There's there are definitely other costs to be considered if you aren't a tech technology person, you don't know anything about this stuff, and you just need a computer to work, um, then that, it might be a good choice and worth $1,000 because I, as I have problems and I have trouble, I'm going to be able to troubleshoot it myself. I know how to do that. I know how to replace things. I'm probably going to upgrade it before it needs to be replaced anyway, because that's that's where I like doing it. Um, and that's why Puget would be a good choice too. They're, they're going to be able to, that lifetime support is going to really help you in the long run there too. So it's worth the extra money. Um, but for me as a hobbyist and someone who knows how to do this, I get to save some dollars. So that's, that's really helpful. And I have a thousand more dollars I can spend on camera gear instead of on my computer. So there, that's, that's, I just want to wrap up that little piece of it there about why personally I'm going to stick with windows and custom builds. Um, but I, again, Macs are great. So if that's where you want to go, more power to you. All right. So Matt, thanks so much for spending some time going over this with me. I thoroughly enjoy the information <laughs> that you guys have over at PugetSystems.com. I, I follow that blog all the time. I love the testing you guys do. I, I haven't found anyone else that does the kind of testing you guys do. So I appreciate that. I hope you'll keep it up. Uh, hopefully you get enough customers because of that, that you'll, you'll be able to justify doing that and keep it up. Um, oh, yeah, I think we're going to be doing that for quite a while. Don't oh, worry. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and I want to make sure everyone knows this is not a paid show. Like I'm not Puget's not paying me to do this episode. I just wanted to find someone that was an expert and come on and help me with this because I don't have the experience with all the different hardware. I don't have all the exposure to the hardware. So th that was kind of what I was specifically looking to get out of Matt and his team over at Puget. Um, and I highly recommend them as a, as a provider. I haven't bought a PC through them because I build them myself, but I've sent some people there and everyone I've sent there has really loved the result. And so uh, if, if that's something you would, you're interested in, give them a call. They, uh, they will help you to meet your needs, kind of help you figure out what you want to do. I, in fact, Matt, do you think it's better to give you a call or do you think the website's good enough? Oh, e either way. I mean, no matter what, always talk to one of our consultants first. <laughs> They're not a commission or anything. They're not going to push you, but man, you can get so much more out of either email conversation or a phone conversation than you can just poking around a website. Perfect. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. We went, I, I warned everyone we were going to go a while. It's like we're, we're well over an hour, and uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, just quick reminders, you can find everything Photo Taco related over at the new home of the podcast, phototacopodcast.com. And you should go there to look for my new build recommendations that I'm going to have out there. Um, there's searchable show notes there. There's a link to the Photo Taco listeners Facebook group, which you can go and ask to join and uh, some other goodies that I'm working on over time. Love to connect with you through Instagram. The show's account is Photo Taco Podcast. Twitter, at Photo Taco. You can drop me an email, phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated. If I don't know the answer, I'll bring someone like Matt on, who's an expert, and goes through it. And uh, that'll be great. Photo Taco is part of the Master Photography Podcast Network, and you can find everything about the network at masterphotographypodcast.com. Together, we want to help you master your photography. Matt, where... Should people find you? PugetSystems.com. Is that the best place? Yep. Yep. Straight up PugetSystems.com. All right. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll talk to you later, everybody. Ta -da, ta -da.
views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!